Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. It's great to have everybody here with us this morning. And we're grateful that, uh, that you decided again to be here on uh, Mother's Day morning. As we're going to be diving into the Word of God here for a few moments and seeing what the Lord has for us. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. As many of you know, we, we normally work verse by verse through books of the Bible. And uh, a few weeks back, we finished the book of Jonah. So we've been taking a little bit of a time off um, away from uh, going verse by verse through some books just because of just the nature of how some of these Sundays fell. And so this Sunday in particular and next Sunday and the next Sunday, uh, last Sunday, this, this just basically, there was about four Sundays where it was going to be a little bit different, just some different things going on, me being gone for the revival meeting, then Mother's Day. Next week's kind of a different Sunday. And then uh, we'll have our missions conference that we're going to be talking about later on. And so uh, we just had a couple and so we uh, decided to, to break away and then I'm looking forward as we get back into June we'll be jumping into a new book and I'm looking forward to to doing that together uh, as we get to June so we're looking forward to that as well and I'll be mentioning more about which book that is so you can start diving into it and letting the Lord speak to your heart uh, even before we get to those pages so second Samuel chapter number 11 is where we're going to be this morning and again so glad that you have chosen to be here together with us. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help, and then we will dive into the scriptures together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to open your word. And Lord, here for a few moments as we do that, I pray, God, that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to bring our thoughts into captivity. Help me, God, to be able to focus on your word and what you desire for me to say today, and help me only to say those things that you want me to say. I pray, God, that if there's anything else um, that uh, maybe comes to my mind, you just help it to be swept away so that, Lord, I would only say that what you desire. And, Lord, I pray that for each person that's here today, that they would hear from you. And, God, that there would be encouragement from your word. As we think about some examples in the scriptures, we look at this passage that's very familiar to us. I pray, God, that we would be encouraged and challenged by your word this morning. And, God, I look forward to what you're going to do. And I just pray, God, that everything that's done would be for your honor and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, Isaac preached from uh, what was probably the greatest victory in uh, maybe in the entire life of David. There's, there's arguably some other situations, some other times that some great things took place, but it's hard to really uh, overthrow or to, to go beyond really the victory that David experienced whenever he stood against Goliath. And what an incredible passage of scripture that we heard uh, I, uh, Isaac preached last week as, as he preached and he taught uh, as David walked out there. Is there not a cause? And, and as he went and as he ran towards that giant and as he cried out and said, you know, I come in the name of the Lord God, you know, and, and, and he said, listen, the battle is the Lord's and, and the Lord delivered a great victory on that day in David's life. And so as we think about the greatest victory of David's life today, I guess you could say we come to the greatest defeat. As we think about the, the longevity, the, the life of David that's encompassed through between 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and parts of 1 Chronicles, as we look at his life and we see some of the things that he wrote in the book of the Psalms, and we, we look at the whole uh, life as a whole, we, we see all the things that took place. Today we come to what probably could be considered the greatest defeat in the life of David. Look with me, if you would, at 2 Samuel chapter number 11, beginning at verse number 2. 
says, And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him. And he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned into her house. And the woman conceived... And sent and told David and said, I am with child. I find myself on a regular occasion attempting to fix things in my life, okay? No, not just like in my marriage. I'm talking like actual physical things. I was talking to someone recently, and we were discussing about how when you don't have money, you learn how to do a lot of things, all right? And, uh, you know, and so YouTube has become like the best friend where you just look it up to see how to fix whatever it is. And, and I think maybe the greatest struggle when it comes to being a person that always tries to fix everything is learning and reaching that point where you decide this just isn't worth it my time trying to fix anymore. And uh, here recently, we our dryer had went out, uh, and uh, the, the, the heating element went out on it again for the third time. And I already replaced these things multiple times. I told Tressa, I said, forget it. I said, I'm not replacing this thing anymore. We're not waiting two weeks for the part to show up, so we're getting a new dryer. And so, of course, so, so we, we went, and I, I found a dryer over in Butte, and it just so happened that there was a washer that came with it. The problem was the washer wasn't working, but I thought, you know what? Hey, no problem here. I can take care of that. And so, sure, enough so we get the washer we get the dryer bring them to the house and did you know those things weigh like a million pounds they are very heavy and uh, anyway we got the dryer in the house and of course I got the the washer in the garage just so I could you know have a little more furniture in there and and, and so you know the washer's sitting there and I went out there and I thought you know hey I'm just going to take a couple seconds and I'm going to mess around with this see if I can figure out what's going on with it I figured out the code figured out what I needed to do and so I'm sitting there and I'm taking this thing apart and I get to the back and it's a control board and I'm, I'm trying to fight with this thing to get this thing off. And I'm just, I'm doing everything that I can to, to get this dumb little control board that's on the back side of it off. And I'm trying to do this and I couldn't get it. And so finally, uh, I'd been trying, I'd pulled this screw out to get better access to it. I couldn't get it. So I put the screw back in and I'm, I'm like, okay, this will help me. And as I'm doing it, of course, it slips and I get my knuckle right on it. And it's just like, oh, you know, come on, right, right on the screw that I just put back in. And, uh, you know, and at that point, I'm just like, ah, oh, what in the world? And, uh, and finally, I was like, you know what, I'm going to put this down and go look at it later. And so then I went inside and I looked up the part and it's like six months out and I'm thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? You know, it's, 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 you, you reach that point where you think to yourself, at what point do you look at something and say, listen, this thing is broken beyond repair. This thing is something that's not worth fighting over. It's not worth messing with anymore. This thing is just done. It's just finished. It's broken. It's finished. And it's broken beyond repair. No way to fix it. Well, as we come to 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we obviously always focus on David in this passage. After all, it was David that made the decision to stay home from battle. It was David's decision to go up in the middle of the night and stand on his rooftop. It was David's decision to look out and see Bathsheba bathing himself. And it was David's decision whenever he asked who that was. Then one of his men came over and said, don't you know, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of your mighty men. One of David's mighty men said it's, it's one of their wife and David chose to say, go and get her for me. Listen, we could spend today and we could point the finger at David and there's no question it rightfully deserves to be pointed right square out him. But don't forget this, anytime that adultery or something like this takes place, there's two parts to the party. And today as we, as we think about this story, I want to spend a few moments and, and think about things from the, the eyes of 
of Bathsheba. We don't often spend time talking about her in this, in this story. But I think it's important for us to see some things from her life, from her perspective as we come to this chapter. So we saw in those first couple of verses that David calls for her. And the Bible tells us that David went in and his men got her. But the Bible tells us in verse number 4 that she came in unto him. And so clearly there was a certain amount of submissive, a certain amount of going forward with this decision. It was a sad situation that both of them had had submitted to making this sinful decision and committing this act of adultery. And listen, friend, I wish so much that that this whole chapter wasn't even here. But as we look at this this morning, we can see a life that was broken. Bathsheba, after she had went to to David, the Bible tells us that he sent her back home. And and we don't know how much time must have went by. Clearly there was some time, maybe a few weeks, probably a couple of months. But finally she sends a message to David to tell him, listen David, I'm pregnant, I'm expecting. Right away they begin to, to finagle and to work through things to figure out how they can cover up their sin, to cover up the mistake that they had made. And, and so David brings home her husband Uriah back from the battle and, and, and Uriah comes home and, and David thinks, alright, we're going to cover this thing up. He thinks, alright, I'm going to just send Uriah home with his wife. And he said, they'll have time together and then everything will be good. The problem was, was Uriah was an honorable man. And Uriah, the Bible tells us, David said, hey, listen, I'm going to send you home. You can go have a feast, go enjoy some time at home. But Uriah slept on the doorstep of the king and he told him, how can I go home to my wife whenever my, my comrades, those that I fight with, are, are over fighting in the battle? Those that Joab, the one that I follow, that I fight for, he says, how could I go and do that when he's out on the battlefield? He said, there's no way I can, I can go home to my wife. So David tried a different tactic. David took and he got Uriah drunk. He thought, you know what, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'll get it so his discretion is thrown off and he's going to make a, he won't be able to make these decisions and he'll just go forward with it. So that's exactly what he did. But even a drunk Uriah had more character than what David did at this time. Uriah slept there again on the king's doorstep. Now David is is starting to fumble his hands together and he's thinking, what am I going to do now? i got to figure out something to cover up my sin. i got to figure out some way to take care of this, this problem that I have created. And so what does he do? Well, he writes a letter. And he writes this letter to be sent to the captain of the army. And in it he tells him, he says, when the battle is at its hottest, he says, I want you to pull back your troops. And when you do, he said, I want Uriah on that front line so that his life can be taken. And he thinks, what better way to get this message than somebody that's honorable, somebody that's got character, somebody that I know will follow through. What does he do? He seals that envelope and he gives it to the hand of Uriah. Uriah literally delivers his own death sentence, his own death note to the leader of the army, Joab. And as he does that, sure enough, everything goes perfectly according to plan. The Bible tells us that there they are. They're out in the battle. And while the battle was at its hottest moment, the Bible tells us that the army was pulled back. But Uriah and some of the other men were left up there in the front. And sure enough, worked perfectly according to plan. Uriah's life was taken. But not only Uriah's life, there were numerous other men, the Bible tells us, whose lives were taken as well. What a heartbreaking situation that this was. And the Bible tells us as we come to verse number 26, finally the word made its way to Bathsheba. And in verse number 26, 
The Bible says, and when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. This moment, no doubt Bathsheba's life was in pieces. She's looking back and thinking, oh no, if, if we hadn't, if I hadn't made that mistake that one night, everything wouldn't have just fallen apart. She's looking back and she's, she's broken in this situation. She's hurting. Why? Because now her husband that she cared for, that she loved, was dead. Not only her husband, but other, maybe some of the ladies that she knew uh, around her, their husbands had died as well. And now she's sitting here and she's broken and she's burdened. And the Bible tells us she's mourning. Why? For the death of her husband because of her sin. And in this moment... Where everything seemed to be falling apart and her life seemed to be in pieces. I can't help but wonder if she didn't think, can anything good come from something that is broken? You look at this situation in the midst, in the middle of this moment, maybe one of the darkest moments of her life. And I can't help but wonder if she looked around and thought, God, can you do anything with this broken Life of mine. There's no doubt probably people in, in this room and, and, and maybe some watching online that, that are probably thinking to themselves even this morning, can God do anything with my life? You look back and you see moments of, of decisions, bad decisions, and you see brokenness and broken pieces, and, and, and you look back, and, and in your mind, you, you can think back to those decisions, and you think, man, I wish I could just have that, that time back. I wish I could have that decision back. I wish I could go back and change things. You're like me, and, and I, I remember growing up, I would get those, those uh, you know, build your own adventures or make your own adventure type books. I don't, I don't even know if they make those anymore. And, uh, but anyway, I remember getting those as a kid, and you remember you, you would read, and you get to page number nine and say, okay, if you're going to make this decision to blow out the candle, then, then turn to page number you know, 72. And, and if you're going to decide to uh, let the candle continue burning, and you say, what's the deal with the, continue, the candle? I have no idea, but that's what it was like, okay? I'm just telling you, it was a big decision. And, uh, you know, and I mean, everything would change it. And you'd go and you'd create your own adventure as you would read this book. And I can remember doing that. And listen, there are parts of my life that I would look back at my life and I'd say, man, I wish that I could go back and I could change. I wish I could just flip back to that page and say, listen, I'm going to make a different decision there. And no doubt everybody in this room could go back and probably find times in your life where you look and say, man, I wish, I wish I could change that. I wish there wasn't that broken part of my life. Maybe bridges that once were there with loved ones that are now burned. Maybe it's a decision that haunts you when things go quiet and you find yourself in that place that Bathsheba found herself asking that question, what can God do with the pieces of my life? Can anything good come from something that's broken? Well, friend, I want to give us hope today. Hope that we can find from the word of God. I see, first of all, this from God's word that God often breaks before he uses. He often breaks before he uses. Tressa is an incredible uh, 
cook, baker, whatever you want to call it. And, and one of my favorite things that she makes is brownies. I mean, brownies and cookies. Listen, specifically chocolate chip cookies. Listen, I could, I, I could just gorge on them. I love my sweets. I love my desserts. Anything chocolate, really, I'm all about. But, but specifically, she makes brownies and she makes chocolate chip cookies. And, and it's not often that she asks me to come in and actually step in and make things, even though we like to cook things together and stuff like that. But I've learned enough in the kitchen that I know a few things about cooking. I know that whenever you're when you're cooking, you know, you're pouring in the different ingredients. And, and how many of you are like me in that you don't really use measuring cups? You just kind of put things in there, right? Okay, yeah, that's the way that you cook, right? Okay. And uh, Tressa is like specific. Like it's got to be like the last grain of salt on the, the measuring spoon. You know, that's just the way that she is. And, and uh, that's the way she cooks. But, uh, you know, we're, we're throwing everything together. But there's one thing that I know. I don't know much about cooking in the kitchen, but I do know this. Before you put in the eggs into whatever the mixture is, you have to crack them open first, okay? You know, I know some of you are like, oh, that, that just makes sense. I can't believe you even had to say that. Well, you know, and so anyway, but I mean, you do, okay? You, you got to crack the eggs and, and you got to try not to get a bunch of shell in there. And that can be very challenging. And, and, but, but I know this, before you can use the eggs to make this glorious brownie, uh, before you can use the eggs to make some wonderful, delicious chocolate chip cookies, you have to first break them. They have to be broken, before they are useful. In Mark chapter number 6, we preached about it just a couple of years ago. There were 5,000 men besides women and children that had gathered on the hillside on that day. And it was about lunchtime. Jesus looks out, he has compassion on the multitude and, and the disciples are coming to him saying, Hey, listen, send them away. We don't have enough food for them. And Jesus said, well, just how much food do we have? And they come along and they say, listen, if we had, you know, a thousand dollars, we had a million dollars, we couldn't feed this many people. We don't have enough to do this. And, and, and Jesus looks at them and says, no, go and see what we have. And so they begin to scrounge around. They're walking through the crowd. And sure enough, as we know, there's a little boy there whose mom that morning had packed him a little sack lunch. Inside that sack lunch, she had put five small loaves and two small fish. I, I kind of imagine they were like sardines. So I could imagine him saying, yeah, you can have those, okay? But, but listen, he had five, five, five small loaves, five loaves and two small fish, the Bible tells us. And she, he, this, this little lad takes the, 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 the little lunch that he has and he says, okay, he said, I don't, I don't really know what you can do with it. But he said, here you go. If Jesus needs it, here you go. He can have it. They bring it back to Jesus. And I can kind of see them kind of shaking their heads saying, what in the world are we going to do with this? I mean, like, maybe this will feed Jesus. Maybe a couple of us will get a, a bite or two. But, I mean, come on, 5,000 men. Besides women and children, there could have been 15,000 people there. There's no way. What in the world are we going to do with all these people that are hungry and desiring food? But then the Bible tells us, before he performs one of the most incredible and maybe most memorable miracles that Jesus committed, in Mark chapter number 6, verse 41, it says that when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed, and listen, and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish divided he among them all. Listen, I don't know how Jesus did it, and the reason I don't is because it's impossible for men to do something like this, but he's not just man, he's God. Jesus took those loaves, and the Bible tells us, before he distributed them, he blessed them, but then the Bible says this, he broke them. 
Before he, he gave out those fish, the Bible tells us that he, he divided them. They had to be broken. They had to be divided. Wow. Why? Before they could be used, God had to break them first. In Mark chapter number 14, Jesus and his disciples are sitting at the house of Simon, who was a leper. That's such a cool thing because that's a broken story in and of itself. Listen, if you were a leper, you don't become a was a leper, okay? You understand, like you are a leper. It's kind of one of those things that just is. Listen, Simon, who was a leper until he met Jesus and Jesus took care of him. But there he is on that day. They're sitting around there. It's now just days before Jesus is going to be crucified. They're sitting around the table. Jesus and all of his disciples are sitting there. As they're sitting there conversing with each other. And, and, and Simon is, is there. And, and, and Peter is there. And of course we know Judas was there. And all the disciples are gathered around there. All of a sudden there was a woman that made her way in. And they, everybody knew exactly who this woman was. They knew her reputation. They knew everything about her. And this woman walks in with the little box, the Bible tells us. It was a box of ointment. Everybody knew what it was because it was very precious and worth an incredible sum of money. In Mark chapter number 14, verse number 3, it tells us, And being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment. The spike in yard, very precious. Listen to this next part. She break the box. Poured it on his head. This box of ointment that, that many scholars have said was worth probably about a year's wages. It was extremely valuable. The perfume that came from it was, was very aromatic. It would have uh, been used to many times anoint bodies. Uh, whenever somebody would bury them, it would cover the stench of death. It was very powerful and it was very expensive. And she takes this box that she has and the Bible doesn't say she unscrewed the lid. It doesn't say that she poured out a literal. The Bible tells us that she broke the box and poured it on Jesus. You see, before that ointment could be used, before it could serve its purpose, even though it was incredibly valuable, it had to first be broken. Moses was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had everything that he could ever want. Everything was going his way. But when he decided one day to defend one of the Hebrews and kill one of the Egyptians guard, Egyptian guards, suddenly his life was on the ropes and he took off running. He found his way on the backside of the desert. And there the Bible tells us for the next 40 years he was there tending to sheep as a shepherd. A lowly position that nobody really knew about, nobody really cared about, but that's what he was doing there on the backside of the desert. One day as he's out taking care of the sheep, he looks over and he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. He walks over to it and sure enough as he walks up to it, the Bible tells us he looks and God speaks to him out of that, that, that bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here am I. And listen friend, it wasn't until this interaction with God that we learn just how broken Moses was. Just how broke is he, broken he had become in 40 years on the backside of the desert. We learned that Moses had a speech impediment. 
And in Exodus chapter number 4, verse number 10, it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either heretofore, for since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Many say that they believe that he probably had some type of a stutter. I, whenever I was growing up, I had to go to speech therapy because I stuttered a lot. And so I had to work through that. That was a hard thing. And still to this day, every once in a while, it comes back to bite me. And it's really bad whenever I'm preaching, but it happens sometimes. Now listen, Moses had some type of slow speech. He had some type of stutter that he struggled with. Not only that, but he felt worthless. In Exodus 3.11, Moses said unto God, who am I? You want somebody to go and do that? God, who am I? I'm nobody. That I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who, who am I? I'm no one. His self-worth was, was nothing. Moses was a man with a broken past, a broken tongue, and a broken self-esteem. And it was in Moses' moment of greatest brokenness that God declared, Moses, you may not think that you can do anything, and you're probably right. But Moses, I can, because I am. God has a way of allowing us to be marred and broken so that he can make us into the image that he desires. In Isaiah, we, or, yeah, in Isaiah the Bible gives us the story of, of, of the, the potter and that the potter's house. And he says, listen, that, 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 that pottery, that, that, that clay, it was marred in the hand of the potter. Why? So that he could take it and he could make it into something for his honor and for his glory. In Psalm chapter number 51, the Bible tells us in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. In Psalm 34, verse number 18, he says, The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. Oh friend, this morning you may be here, and God may have allowed you to go through some things that left you broken. Pieces of your life in shambles. You may be asking the question, why have you had to walk the path that God has laid before you? Why have you went through the things that God allowed you to go through? Why didn't God just intervene and just make it just not happen? Why didn't he just make it all just just disappear? Why wasn't it easy, smooth sailing? Well, listen, friend. It's easy to get to that point where you ask, could God ever do anything with a broken heart and a broken life like mine. God has a way of taking broken pieces and using them for his glory. To be able to reach someone because of what you went through that no one else could reach. Do you understand? There are people that you are going to meet in your life that, listen, because of the situations, because of the trials, because of the broken situations that you have faced in your life, that you are going to be able to reach them in a way that nobody else could, more than this preacher ever could. But God allowed you to go through them so that you could take that situation and use it for His glory. To truly be able to look them in the eyes with the same grace and mercy that God showed to you and to say, I understand. I know. And to show them God's goodness. But without first being broken, God couldn't use you how he desires. 
See, God often breaks before he uses. But understand this, God never wastes broken pieces. He never wastes broken pieces. After Jesus fed the 5,000, they didn't just pack up and head out. No, the Bible tells us in in John chapter number 6, from John's perspective, he says when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. I can see the disciples as Jesus said this, as they look and say, what? The the fragments that remain? Jesus, it was already a miracle that you fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. There's not going to be anything left over. I mean, it was a miracle that that happened, but there's not going to be any fragments left over. What are you even talking about? And I can see them as they go out the first time. And I can imagine all 12 disciples with one little basket and they're picking up fragments all over and all of a sudden they fill up that first basket. And they're like, well, I guess... Go, go get another basket, and they take that one, they bring it back to Jesus, and they go, go back out with a second basket, and, and, and all of a sudden they fill that one up, and they say, hey, listen, maybe a couple of you guys go and grab another one, and, and, and a couple of them go back, and they go back, and now they fill up two more, and, and they go back, and, and they grab a couple more, and they fill up a couple more, and before they know it, they've got 12 baskets full. The Bible tells us, therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And you can see the disciples going, what in the world is going on here? This is unbelievable. I mean, it was a miracle that he fed 5,000, but now he's making bread out of nothing. I mean, the fragments that remain, how in the world is this possible? And listen, I don't know what they did with the 12 baskets. Whenever they finally got finished, I don't know, uh, some say that, well, you know, there was 12 of them, and so they probably gave the 12 baskets to the disciples. I kind of think that maybe they trailed over to the little boy's house and said, here you go, here's your lunch, you know. I, I, I don't know exactly what took place, but what I do know is that God cares about the fragments. He doesn't waste broken pieces. And listen, friend, God will never waste a trial or a painful part of your past. He has a purpose for every single one of them. Everything that you have gone through or will go through, God has a purpose for it. Sometimes it's simply to get your attention. That's just the fact. Sometimes he's snapping his fingers at you. And when God snaps his fingers, sometimes it hurts a little bit. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Sometimes God gets, tries to get our attention because, listen, maybe we're going somewhere that we shouldn't go. We're doing something that we shouldn't do. And God says, listen, I'm going to give you some pain now so the pain isn't greater later. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get you back on track. Listen, sometimes it's to strengthen you. James chapter number 1 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, various trials, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect, complete, and entire, wanting nothing. The idea of uh, here in, in verse number four, where it talks about being perfect and, and wanting nothing, doesn't mean that, that you're sinless or, or that all your problems are gone. It's not what he's talking about here. He doesn't say, listen, I, I want you to, to go through these things so that, so that you can get to that place where you're perfect and, and entire and you're wanting nothing. What's, uh, so so that, 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 listen, your life's just great and you're just sitting at home and thinking, man, I just got everything that I ever wanted. That's not what he's saying here. That the idea here in this passage is that you go through these things, these trials, the various temptations, trials that you face, and you reach a point where you realize in the midst of the trial that God is enough. 
That God gives perfect peace that, that surpasses all understanding. And, and the idea is it's, it's this idea of a sigh, just a... God's enough. Figuring out that, that, listen, it's not the deliverance from the trial that is the answer. It's the God that's with you through your trial that's the answer. He's enough. He's enough. And sometimes God allows us to go through things so that we can come to that place of realizing He's enough. When Paul came to the Lord, he said, God, I've, I've besought you three times that you would remove this thorn of the flesh out of my life. And God looked at Paul and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said, well, if that's the case, then most, most gladly will I gl rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He found out God is enough. There's many reasons that we may go through things that God allows things to take place. But listen, friends, it's never for a waste. Do you understand between the time that God promised Abraham and Sarah and in Genesis chapter number 12 that God was going to make of them a great nation? That God was going to give them seed? Between that time and, and Isaac's birth in Genesis chapter 24, 21, God confirmed his promise to them four times. It's kind of interesting. You can go back and you can read through it. Why? Because years must have passed. Maybe decades took place. From the time in Genesis 12 where God said, listen, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Out of you, Abraham, and you, Sarah, I am going to create great seed as the, as the, the stars of the sky and as the sand of the sea. Decades passed where they didn't have children. <laughs> in fact, it got so bad that they began to try to figure it out on their own. And we know what happened there. As Sarah said, hey, hey, Abraham, I, I, God's, God's made me barren. But he hasn't given us children. So why don't you take my, my concubine, my, my servant? Why don't you take Hagar? And, and, and from her, then you'll have seed. And, and so they did that. And what happened is, well, as we would expect... Sarah hated Hagar, okay? I mean, that was natural. And from that decision, we have the entire Islamic population coming from the child Ishmael. Because why? Because she tried to take it in her own hands and do it her own way. God had to come to them again and say, no, 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 listen. I am going to take care of you. I am going to give you a child at the right time. Over and over again, this took place. And no doubt they had a question, why would God make this promise to us and then not follow through? Why would God let us go through this? These years, these decades of going through all of these things. Listen, there was a lot of things that happened between the promise and Genesis chapter number 21. But the Bible tells us this finally in verse number 2. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time. Of which God had spoken to him. God didn't waste those broken years. He didn't waste those times of uncertainty. God had a purpose. God's timing was perfect. And I love what the Bible says. About Sarah. In the hall of faith. In 
Hebrews chapter number 11. As it goes through it, it mentions all these different people. The first woman that's brought up is Sarah. And it says this through faith. Also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She said, God, you made this promise. God, I'm trusting in you. God, you are faithful. And even though she got off track, even though she had, she had some times of struggle, listen, she, she finally at the end, she realized God has a purpose. He hasn't wasted these years of my life. God did this for his glory. And God never wastes a trial. You see, before God uses, oftentimes he breaks God will never waste those broken seasons or broken pieces of your life. And finally this morning, see this. Brokenness brings glory to God. Brokenness brings glory to God. You see, God loves to use broken pieces for His glory. It was a, the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus so that he could go and persecute some more Christians when the light shined down from heaven. When God spoke to, to Paul and said, Paul, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Paul, Saul, why are you doing these things? Paul, Saul, why, why are you trying to, to, to resist me? Why are you trying to go against me? Saul was doing all of these things in the name of religion. And God finally looks down and says, Saul, you've been an enemy of me. Saul, so you've, you've martyred people in my name. Saul, so your life is nothing but, but broken pieces. Peter denied Christ three times, the Bible says. Three times he was asked on that night as Jesus was being taken to be beaten and crucified. And, and three times they came to, to Peter and said, aren't you a follower of him? Three times Peter denied. Finally, after Jesus rises from the dead, we come to John 21. And, and Peter, the Bible tells us, looks and says, I go a fishing. What he was saying was, I quit. I'm going back to the life that I lived before I even knew Jesus. That was a pretty dark time in his life. We know the story. He fished all night. He caught nothing. He looks to the shore. There Jesus is. And he doesn't recognize him at first. Jesus says, hey, cast in your net on the other side of the boat. That sounded awful familiar. It sounded kind of like what happened when Jesus called them the first time. They cast in that net. And sure enough, that net fills with so many fish. The, the ship begins to sink. And finally, John looks over and says, hey, Pete, that's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water, swims to the shore, and as they're sitting there on the shore, Jesus has already got the fish cooking, and they're sitting around there, they're waiting, and Jesus looks over at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? In fact, he does it three times, and can I tell you this morning, it wasn't because Jesus was going through an identity crisis where he was thinking, man, I just wonder if Peter actually really loves me. I wonder if he really cares about me. That's not at all what was taking place. Listen, Jesus always knows the answer to any question that he asks. And when he asked that question, it wasn't for him. It was for Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do, do, you, do you still want to serve me? Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. And we know just a couple of pages later in Acts chapter number 2 and 3. Peter stands on the day of Pentecost. 
and preaches the word of God, and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Oh, listen, friend, Christ was broken on that cross for you and for me. As he hung there and he, he gave his broken body on that cross, oh, the suffering that he endured. Listen, he was broken. But on the third day, he rose again and he did it all. Why? So that one day, Philippians chapter number two tells us, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, to the glory of God the Father. Oh, friend, I don't know what you have gone through, what you are going through this morning, but I know this. God knows. And God has a purpose. And I know that He has a way of turning brokenness into something amazing. That just like the disciples, we stand back and see those baskets full of fragments that oftentimes is our life. We say, wow. Look at what God has done. You know, Bathsheba's life was in shambles on that day. She was broken. She was hurt. She was looking back and thinking, man, I wish I could change things. I wish I could do things differently. I wish I could have just said no. Man, death would have been better for me than giving in and going through the things that I have went through. There's no doubt that these thoughts went through her mind. And she must have thought, God, can anything good come from something broken can you do anything with my life well in Matthew chapter number one the whole story is wrapped up of Bathsheba the Bible says in verse number six and Jesse begat David the king and David the king begat Solomon oh listen of her that had been the wife of Uriah's in one verse, we find the whole story of 2 Samuel 11. And Jesus doesn't dive into the details. He doesn't go into there and say, oh yeah, wait, wait a second. By the way, this was conceived out of a, an adulterous relation. Oh, wait a second. Don't miss the brokenness that was in this moment. Oh, wait. Don't, don't. There, there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain. Oh, oh wait. Don't. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't do that whenever we find this in the New Testament. No. All that we find is a woman that the Bible reminds us who was broken. And yet... God used this terrible, broken situation and turned it around for His glory. Can anything come from something that's broken? Hey, listen, friend, absolutely. Through a terrible situation and a broken life of Bathsheba, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born. From the lineage of David, Jesus came. Jesus, the Son of God. Yes, God can take a broken life and make something beautiful. And friend, no matter who you are or what you've been through, God has a way of taking brokenness and using it for His glory. Maybe you're here today and, and, and listen, what a wonderful thing it would be on Mother's Day for some people to find hope. Some hope that, listen, even though I've made mistakes, even though I've failed, even though there's broken moments in my life, there is hope in Jesus. 
What a wonderful thing it would be for, for maybe some, some people to, to, to call up a mother today and, and to find some of those burned bridges and be able to call them and say, listen, I am sorry I did this, but God has forgiven me and I ask you to forgive me too and find God do something glorious through a broken situation. Maybe you're here this morning and your relationship with God is broken because you've never accepted Him as your Savior. And maybe you've been playing a game for years. You know, the Bible tells us it's not of anything that we can do, not of works, lest we should boast. There's nothing that you and I can do to gain, to gain eternity, to get to heaven on our own. Nothing, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that the wages of our sin is death, eternity in a lake of fire. And yet Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, died on the cross. Why? For us. To pay for our sins. You say, Kyle, what do I have to do to receive that gift? Well, my life is broken. I am in my sin and I can't get out and there's nothing that I can do. And I recognize that. What do I have to do? Kyle, do I have to get baptized like we said that baptism a couple weeks ago? No, 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 friend. That's not at all. The Bible doesn't say that. Do, do I have to be a good person? Well, that would be a great thing to do, but that won't get you to heaven. Do I have to give money in the offering plate? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the way that you do it. So give lots of No, no, no. That's not what it is. You see, if it was those things, we'd be able to boast about it. The Bible says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. No, the Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again the third day, if we believe that, listen, I can't do it on my own, and we ask God to forgive us for our sins, the Bible tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, it doesn't matter who you are this morning. Where you find yourself on this level of brokenness. Maybe you look back and you can see years ago and there's something that, oh. Maybe you're looking at this past week and thinking, oh man, I screwed up. Maybe it's your entire life and you say, God, I need you to save me. Friend, wherever you find yourself, there's great news this morning. God wants to take your brokenness and bring glory to himself. This morning, see the life of Bathsheba, a broken life. And yet God used her to bring incredible glory to himself. And this morning, God can do the same in your life as well. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning as we finish up the service, we're going to have a brief time of, of invitation where you're going to have the, the opportunity just to, to come to the Lord and talk to him. And I would just encourage you, whoever you are in this room, maybe you say, God spoke to my heart about, about one of these things, about some brokenness that's, that's in my life. And I realized that, man, I just didn't have hope. But today I see that Jesus, Jesus is the answer and Jesus offers hope. This morning you can pray and ask the Lord to help you. To take that broken situation and turn around for his glory. God has a way of making something beautiful out of something broken. And tonight, this morning, I'd encourage you to come to him. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, the music.